All right, well, if you can begin making your way back to your seats, and as you do so, uh, grab your Bibles and head on over to Deuteronomy chapter 18, Deuteronomy chapter 18, Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament, so it's going to be on the left side of the middle of your Bible, um, but Deuteronomy chapter 18 is a, is a text we're going to be looking at this morning, and it's one that gets re-quoted a couple different times in the New Testament, and it is a very, very important text for us to consider together. Um, what we're going to do over the next several weeks together um, is this morning we will begin our December series with one another. Next week we're going to take a break because the kids are going to lead us and uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun and it's going to be really cool. And uh, the idea is, and, and Pastor Larry is coming back for this. Uh, him and Nancy will be here next week. Um, we are going to have, uh, in, in some ways, a, a lesson in carols. And it's going to look this way. Um, we're going to have Grandpa sitting in the rocking chair by the fire reading to his grandchildren all of the backstories of the carols that we know and love. And there will be lots of opportunities for the rest of us during the morning to sing and participate in that way. And the little kids are going to be leading us uh, as, as a choir. They're going to be leading us in some responsive reading. Uh, there will be individuals that have some solos along the way, quoting different parts of Luke chapter 2. It's going to be a really, really fun morning. And I think just a really neat way for us to uh, learn some of the stories behind the carols that we know and love and sing. And uh, as well, get an opportunity to celebrate our children as they lead us. And then we come back on December 17th and we pick up with our series here looking at Jesus as the priest. On the morning of December 24th, Christmas Eve is a Sunday, so we got morning and evening happening that day. So on the morning of December 24th, we'll be looking together at Jesus as King and then on the evening together, we come back and hit Jesus as the gift. So if Christmas Eve is a Sunday morning, that means that New Year's Eve is also a Sunday morning. And we'll be here right as we are always. And that's the Sunday that you don't want to miss. Uh, that's the one we want everybody here for um, because we got some really exciting things that we want to share with you that morning. But over the next several weeks before we get and as we lead up to Christmas Eve, uh, we're really going to be considering this one main question together. The question of who is Jesus? And this is the question that I want to keep before us this morning and all month. Because this really is the question that matters. And it's the question that I think we, we wrestle with, may, maybe not in terms of a, of a struggle, but it, it, it's, it's more highlighted this time of year than other times of year, um, especially e even against Easter, uh, because Christmas is celebrated by the broader American culture we live in, in different ways than Easter is, or other uh, points on the, the church calendar. Uh, and so we have a Christmas tree downtown, and there was a Christmas lighting, and we, we have all of these things that happen in, in popular culture, whether it's on a small Waynesboro scale, or whether it gets to a national scale. I mean, the, the, the White House has been decorated for 
Christmas. I mean, there, there, there are these things that take place in the broader American culture that we just don't necessarily experience at other times during the year that have such a direct relationship to what the church knows and believes and celebrates. Uh, but the question of who is Jesus then becomes the really, really significant one. And it's one that at pop culture always kind of dabbles in a little bit. And, and it doesn't take much of a Google search to find pictures of celebrities wearing t-shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. Whether they know and have a personal relationship with him or not, it, it, it in some ways doesn't matter. The shirt is worn. As soon, NBC will do a live production of Jesus Christ Superstar. That's their Christmas live drama they will do here in the next few days, weeks. So the, uh, the question of who is Jesus becomes a, a real one, and it's one this season has us thinking about in unique ways. National Geographic will most certainly publish some type of article or a series of articles in a Christmas edition that follows the, the track of the stars or try to figure out how the wise men came over. It's something nativity-related, and uh, maybe I'm cynical, but I, I don't think they're doing it to necessarily strengthen the Christian faith as much as they are trying to sell magazines and earn dollars in that way. Discovery Channel and the History Channel will have some type of programming that hits upon and follows up with the seasonal topics at hand. You know, whatever they may look like, they always show up. And again, I might be cynical, but I don't think those producers are trying to strengthen the Christian faith or the faith of Christians or even evangelize the lost. I think they're trying to sell advertisements and have millions of dollars get put into their corporate accounts. Um, it's almost a guarantee that the Simpsons are going to mock Christianity and Christmas in some way this month. Um, a whole host of pop culture music stars will sing songs during Christmas specials that they may or may not believe in. And just in full disclosure, I'll watch most of them. Like, I love those Christmas shows. We, Carrie and I love the CMA, Country Music uh, Christmas special that they do. It's tremendous. Um, but, you know, to what degree do those stars believe in it? They're not giving large explanations or detailed explanations of those things, but you see it. You see the word Christmas. You hear the word Jesus. You sing about the first Noel or you listen to Silent Night. And it is something that this time of year in our culture we, we are confronted with in, in perhaps a good way that is very different than any other point on the calendar. Even the word Christmas the word that gets thrown around and said, Merry Christmas, that shows up on, in different ways all throughout our culture. It has the word Christ in it. And the word was originally first used in about 1000 A.D. And it was a word that, that was uh, created out of two words, Christ and Mass. That was a way of describing um, a, a special service to remember and celebrate and think about the first advent of Jesus Christ, His first coming. So that's even where the word Christmas comes from. 
And so we see these things all throughout our culture, and we're going to be, be just reminded of them. And, and some of those things are really good things, and they're, they're, they're right to celebrate, and they're fun to enjoy. But the question that we can't lose in this is, who is Jesus? Is he the one that pop culture tries to market or profit from? How do we know who he is? What, what definition or what explanation of this man do we accept and believe in? Even the Christmas season, what, what is it really all about? Is it about the, the buying and selling, or not selling so much, but the buying of goods? Selling from the perspective of the manufacturers and the department stores? I mean, this is what led Charlie Brown in 1965, in that iconic cartoon, to yell, isn't anyone know what Christmas is all about? And Linus walks up and, lights please, begins to quote Luke 2. I mean, that question has remained and still remains. What is Christmas about? If it's about the birth of Christ, then who is this man. And, and this will always be the most pressing question. I mean, we want to throw a big $10 theological word on this, this area of Christology will always be the most pressing question and area for us. And really, from what we do and the understanding we have of Christ flows all other areas of theology. And if you look, the most pressed and consistent and repeated attacks against the Christian faith are going to be attacks against Christ. They will consistently be aimed there and in that direction. And sometimes it's subtle, but the question of who is this man is the most pressing question, really at all times for us, but the Christmas season allows us an opportunity to ask the question in some unique ways because of everything that we see around us. And, and I don't know how much you've read of the Karis commitment to common identity. Uh, some of you may be scholars of this already because you've combed through it so much. Um, for those of you that may not have read it, I feel like you need to be encouraged by what your fellowship and your elders have recommended to you because the first point in this statement of faith is an unequivocal explanation, declaration of who Jesus Christ is. Because we believe that question matters so much, it deserves priority in being answered. And so let me read this for you. We declare that Jesus Christ, the incarnate Word of God as revealed in the Bible, the written Word of God, is the only Savior and Lord. He is the center of our shared experience in, of true biblical unity. So you want to know what the fellowship of Grace Brethren Churches or Charis 
fellowship. You want to know what our church elders believe and are recommending to you members that you accept as our statement of faith? It begins with who Jesus is. Because this question matters. It matters a great, great deal. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at this question and answering it, considering that Jesus is prophet, He is priest, He is king, and He is the greatest gift who has given the greatest gift of salvation. And as prophet, Jesus is the fulfillment of all prophets that led and came before Him, that spoke of Him and foretold of Him. As priest, Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire sacrificial and priestly system that we read about in the Old Testament. As king, Jesus is the full and final king that every other king in the Old Testament pointed towards. And as gift, he is not only the greatest gift, but he gives the gift of salvation. We perhaps could summarize these four things in this way. As prophet, Jesus speaks. As priest, Jesus intercedes. As king, Jesus reigns. And as gift, Jesus reconciles. As prophet, Jesus speaks. As priest, he intercedes. As king, he reigns, and as gift, He reconciles. And so this morning, what we will do is briefly consider the role of the Old Testament prophet. We'll look at Jesus as the prophet, and we'll look at how Jesus speaks today. So that's where we're going. Before we go any further, let's pray, and then we'll jump in. God in heaven, we want to turn our focus and our attention on this question, who is Jesus? And this morning, we want to specifically look at him as the prophet who speaks, who is the one prophesied of to come, and who is now come. God, help us to see this role that Jesus is and occupies and has. God, help us to understand and and see where He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies regarding Him. And God, help us to see how He speaks today. God, we believe that You have spoken and You have told us in Your Word that in these latter days You've you've spoken by Your Son. And God, we believe that it's in our best interest to draw near and listen. So God, we ask and I ask that you would be gracious to us in these next several minutes that we would be able to to hear the way you intend for us to hear, that that you would help us to see more clearly. 
and that we might be able to answer more fully this question, who is Jesus? And we pray this in His good name, amen. Well, in regards to the role of the Old Testament prophet, I'm not going to give you all the scriptures that are possible to be given, but there's really four different things that an Old Testament prophet did. They, 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 they spoke God's word. They revealed God's word to God's people. And as Brad read earlier, the, really prefacing much of what they said by saying, thus saith the Lord, and there, there's a King James translation for you. All right, they came and they said, God has said and told me to tell you. They revealed God's word to God's people. But there were some different ways that this shook out and it worked itself out. One of the ways that this looks is that Old Testament prophets taught. They taught God's people Think about Moses receiving the Ten Commandments. God told Moses, write these down. He wrote them down, and they were for the instruction of God's people. Moses then would write the first five books of the Old Testament, and for the instruction of God's people. The role of the Old Testament prophet was a teaching role. Now, Moses also had a rebuking and a correcting and a training role, and we could see overlap in all of these if we, if we looked and wanted to see it. But just as one way to illustrate, Moses as a prophet, speaking and teaching, you have the Ten Commandments, you have the first five books of the Old Testament. Prophets also had a rebuking role. In 2 Samuel verse, or chapter 12, Nathan comes to rebuke David for his sin with Bathsheba. God sent Nathan the prophet to tell David what he did was wrong. There was a rebuking role. Prophets also had a correcting role. God would speak and reveal where his people needed to be corrected or how they needed to be corrected. And there's a whole host of prophets that could be used as examples here. Micah, Amos, Jeremiah, Isaiah. I mean, they are all examples of God correcting people. Amos 5.21, the Lord says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Now, certainly that's rebuking. Certainly there's some teaching there, but there's a corrective aspect there. God sent Amos to go tell the people, sure, you might have all of the markers of external conformity to the law in your worship. You're killing the right animals on the right day. You're doing the right things with the right objects and utensils. You're saying the right things. And you know what? I hate it all because your hearts are far from me. There was a corrective aspect. What you're doing is wrong and here's how you get right. And there was a training aspect. And as we thought through the book of Micah last Christmas together, in Micah chapter 6, 8, Micah reveals, speaks God's word to God's people. He has told you, O man, what is good And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? 
that given and spoken in the context of the people asking, do we need just more sacrifice? Do we need a thousand rams? Do we, need to, do we need to bring our children to the altar? What is the Lord going to require? What is He looking for? He's looking for you to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. There was a training aspect to the role of the Old Testament prophet. These are going to show up again a little later this morning. But let's turn now and consider then Jesus as the prophet. And those are the three ways that we'll just consider him as the prophet. The first is the one who was foretold. The second, the one who was speculated. And thirdly, the one declared. In regards to the one who was foretold, you should have Deuteronomy 18 with you. That is where we see this prophecy in regards to Jesus coming and being the prophet being given. And it is Moses who is speaking. And beginning in verse 15, Moses says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. What's going on there is that God had, had revealed himself to the assembly and they all freaked out. And they said, uh, we, we can't do that anymore. Moses, you, you go. And the Lord said to me, verse 17, they are right in what they have spoken. And I will rise, raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Jesus was foretold. Now the word Jesus, the word Christ, the word Messiah, Bethlehem, Mary, Joseph, stable, star, wise men, and none of that shows up in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy. So if we're going to ask good questions and be discerning people who want to study and know God's Word, I mean, we should wonder, how do you get Jesus out of Deuteronomy 18 if He's not anywhere mentioned nor anything other about the events of His birth? Well, this passage in Deuteronomy 18 is going to get picked up at least two different times in the New Testament and spoken of as a direct fulfillment where Christ is the one. But before we get there, because that will be in the section regarding his declaration, let's consider then the speculation that we have about Jesus being the prophet. And this speculation all happened and all occurred in response to Jesus performing miracles. Now, not every miracle that he performed, was there this type of response, or is it recorded that there was this type of response, but there were very specific instances where the biblical authors record for us that in response to the miracles of Jesus, they wondered, could this be the prophet? 
in Luke 7, verse 16, after the healing of a widow's son, Luke tells us, fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. In John 4, after Jesus had told the woman of, at the well everything that she had done, or at least the, the history of the men in her life, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. After Jesus fed the 5,000 in John 6, John records for us, When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus in John 7 promised that the Holy Spirit would come. And there again, John records for us, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John then gives us the explanation. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. And so there was speculation surrounding the ministry of Jesus. Is he the one? He, he acts like the one. He speaks like the one. He, he does prophet-like things. This is him. And then this is fully declared as we begin to pick up other New Testament texts. I think we see the declaration of Jesus as prophet given in the ministry that he has. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, Mark records, Now after John, this was John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus came speaking God's word. To God's people. He came teaching. He came functioning in the same way the Old Testament prophets would have. In Matthew 5.22, there's just those few words written down on the slide, but that's the section in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is going to begin saying, You heard it said, but I say to you, and this happens just five verses after Jesus emphatically declared that I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. And there's not going to be any little part of the law that's going to fall off and be lost. And so you've heard it said in the law, don't do this, but I say to you, he takes up the role and the function of prophet. But in Acts 3, we begin to see more specifically the declaration of Jesus as prophet being made in specific reference to Deuteronomy 18. And so Peter is preaching, and he says this, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul that does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from 
the people. Peter goes on to explain, and all the prophets that have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. So Peter gives us not only that Jesus is the fulfillment of Moses' prophecy in Deuteronomy 18, but he gives us then the explanation that all of the other Old Testament prophets had their gaze pointed forward to Christ. That God, by the Holy Spirit, inspired them to speak his words to his people And they proclaimed the days of Jesus. Stephen picks up on this a few chapters later in the book of Acts. There's a couple different scriptures we'll look there. Verse 37 is the first part. Stephen says, this is the Moses. He has begun to go through a lengthy a lengthy articulation of who Moses is and how what Moses did related to Christ. And he gets to this point in verse 37. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Quoting Deuteronomy 18. But then notice what Stephen does. And I mean, these are the things that ended up getting Stephen killed. And we jump ahead to verse 52. Stephen just asked the question, uh, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Because if you go back and you read about what happened with the Old Testament prophets, the people that spoke God's word to God's people, it did not go well with them. They didn't fare well because the people didn't want to hear the teaching. They didn't want the rebuking. They didn't want the correcting. They didn't want the training and righteousness. And they persecuted the prophets. It's a major part of what the book of Micah is all about. There were false prophets that were telling the people that what they were doing was okay when it wasn't. And then there was the real prophets that were saying, wait a minute, you got to stop and you got to course correct and you're way off. And everybody was like, well, I like what these guys are saying because I don't have to do anything different. And they persecuted Micah and others. Stephen just says, look, look, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Perhaps significantly in the the, the point of Jesus being declared the prophet was the moment of the transfiguration when Peter, James, and John were up on the mountain there with Jesus Moses and Elijah show up. Peter doesn't know what to do, so he thinks it's a great idea to get everybody a tent so we can just hang out for a while. And then God speaks. And a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Let me take you back to Deuteronomy 18 just for a moment. Verse 15 specifically. The Lord God will raise up For you, a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. 
God the Father speaks, removing all doubt. And this wasn't nearly as public as it could have been. I mean, there could have been thousands and thousands of people there to hear. If for whatever reason, there's a very small and select group that are a part of this moment when God says this, but God Himself speaks and declares that Jesus is the one who is to be listened to. Jesus, as the prophet, was the one foretold of. He was the one whom, during his public ministry, many speculated and wondered and even said, is this him? He does prophet things. He was the one who has been declared to be the prophet. Now this moment, the transfiguration, is a significant one. It's a significant one for us. It was a significant one for Peter, and it's a significant one for us to understand this next idea about how Jesus still speaks today. And it's significant in that Peter writing in his second epistle writes to the church and says, look, I was there on that mountain. I, I, I saw it with my eyes. I, I heard the voice. I was there. And you know what is more sure than that moment and that amazing experience I was just a part of? What is more sure is the prophetic word. For no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We can't consider Jesus as prophet without considering how he speaks today in the Word of God. Because Jesus does speak today, and he does so in and through God's Word. God's Word is what is more sure. Peter thinks back to that time on the mountain. He goes, you know know what's even more of a solid foundation than that experience? God's Word. And the writer of Hebrews there on your screen begins to kind of stitch together some of these ideas for us. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Well, we just looked at in Acts 3 how they from Samuel all the way forward proclaimed the days of Christ. God was revealing His Word to His people through His prophets. And then the writer of Hebrews transitions to say, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. By His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. Jesus speaks today, and it is the Word of God that speaks, that He speaks in, through. 
Let's look at a familiar verse that we, if you've grown up in the church, probably know well. It's a sword drill verse. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Verse 13 is just as significant. And no creature is hidden from His sight. See the pronoun shift between 12 and 13? In 12, we have the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit. It divides what is undivisible, discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from His sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. The writer then would continue in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest. He is specifically referencing Jesus. Jesus is the prophet that was foretold of. He was the prophet that the the people that seen His ministry and His work and heard His words wondered and speculated, is this the man? And then He is the one declared to indeed be the one from God as God who speaks God's Word to God's people. So how does Jesus speak today? He does so through the Word of God. The role of the Old Testament prophet was a teaching role. It was a rebuking role. It was a correcting role. It was a role that trained in righteousness. And these are the very things that we are told in 2 Timothy 3, 16, and 17 that God's Word does. God's Word teaches, and we just looked at this slide a few weeks ago. And when you get off course and you make that sharp left turn, it's there to say, danger, danger, danger. Here's how you get back. Here's how you course correct. Here's how you can be in line. God's Word trains so that you and I would be competent and equipped for every good work. Jesus as prophet speaks today and does so through the Word of God. So if you feel like this morning all I have given you were those Sunday school answers that we used to give as kids, you know, the ones where the teacher would ask the question, we'd raise our hand and go, Jesus? Like, yeah. And then the, another question we get asked, and the Bible? Yeah. If all you feel like I've given you this morning is Jesus and the Bible, well, then you've listened well. That's all I meant to give you this morning. He is the one who has come as the fulfillment of the prophecy that He would come. He is the one 
who came speaking God's word as God to God's people. And we have then what he spoke and what he commissioned his apostles to write. And he speaks today through this book. Again, if you wonder what our church believes about this and what your elders are recommending you to agree with as a statement of faith, let me read some of this in regards to what our fellowship believes about the Bible. The 66 books, and only these, known as the Old and New Testaments, are the written Word of God. God's inspiration and superintendence of the writing of every word in the Bible guarantees that what was written is His Word and therefore authoritative, true, and without error in the original manuscripts. God has revealed to us what He wants us to know, and He has recorded it for us in His Word. And folks, what we need is not new, fresh revelations from God. Because we have all that we need. We don't need, you don't need, to come here on a Sunday morning and have me say, well, God has given me a new word for you this morning. Quite frankly, if I ever say that, just get up and leave. I'm serious. Just get up and leave. Because God's, God's not revealing more of His Word. He has revealed His Word. And He has done so through His prophets, which is recorded in the Old Testament. And He has done so in these latter days through His Son and the apostolic men that He commissioned and then was led and who were led by His Spirit to record the word that he wanted us to have. We don't need new revelation. So what we do when we gather is not asking God to reveal things and and, and, and give us new things. We're asking God to, to expose what he has revealed. We're asking God to, to shine the light for and, and on what he has said. We're trying to expound on it and trying to give explanation for it. The, 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 the big Bible word is exposit it. You don't need me standing before you saying, hey, God has given me a new word for you this morning. You need me explaining what God has already said. A point that I've, I've, I've tried for the last three years and several months to summarize by saying we believe God has spoken and it's in our best interest to draw near and listen. And the issue here is the issue of authority. This is our final authority. So we don't need new revelation. We need to know and understand what he has said. 
Because Jesus, as the prophet, still speaks, but he does so here. Now, in that, I, I, I think there is room, and our language might, might make it difficult for us. I, I don't think or believe the, the statement, I, I believe the Lord is leading me to do this, is an incorrect statement. I mean, we have, they're not there. I took them down last night. And our, our four pallets of our vision of ministry, we, we believe God led us to clarifying those things of worship and serving and community groups and witness in that way. I mean, your, your elders would say, yeah, we believe God, God gave those to us, but not as fully and final authoritative. The only authority they have is to the degree that they match the Scriptures. The only authority that I have before you to speak is an authority that is subservient to this book. So we don't, we don't need new revelation from God because God has spoken. It's in our best interest to draw near and listen. How you doing at listening? How you doing at drawing near? In Matthew 2, part of the Christmas story is recorded there by Matthew. And it's about a group of individuals that, that heard truth and were unwilling to listen. Matthew says this, verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. He was not troubled in the sense of conviction. He was not confronted with something that led him to repentance. You and, you and I on a given Sunday morning might find ourselves a little troubled because the Holy Spirit's working on us. That was not the type of troubling that Herod and the rest of the people experienced. And that gets revealed to us as we continue to look. And assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He got all the best and brightest Old Testament scholars he could find. And he'd say, hey, these, these wise men are looking for the king of the Jews, and they want to know where he was to be born. What do the scriptures say? In verse 5, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Quoting Micah 5.2. Herod got the best and the brightest. They had the right answer. And he refused to bend his knee. He refused to listen. And his answer to what God's word revealed and those priests and scribes rightly interpreted and understood 
Let's just kill every baby around. Because there was a threat to his kingdom. Who is Jesus? He is the one sent by God, as God, to fully and finally reveal God's word to God's people. And we have it in these 66 books. And the question is, are we listening? I pray that we will be a, a people that listen. And that if we're if we're confronted with, with areas of our life that are not in conformity with this book, that, that individually and collectively, that we, we, we course correct and we allow God's word to, to do what it's supposed to do. That, that, that this, as our final authority, is, is what we want more than anything to know and understand. And to follow, God has given us everything we need right here. Are we listening? Will we be those people that will continue to listen? Let's pray. God, we pray for your grace to help us listen well. God, I pray where your, your word needs to convict us that it would do so, that it would, it would rebuke, that it would, that it would like, a, like a giant alarm bell and whistle start screaming at us today, this week, this season, danger. Turn that we would see in your word uh, how we're to course correct. That we would pursue the training in righteousness so that we might be equipped thoroughly for every good work you have for us. God, sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. And we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.